Praise God, it is good to see you and it is good to be home. Amen. It's good to see our friends from Alabama here this morning. See Sarah and Grace Baker that are here. Amen. We have some special guests with us today who've traveled halfway around the world to be with us. Seriously. Uh, so from Wales, UK, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, David and Margaret Glaver here. Why don't you wave so everybody knows who you are. This morning before church, they were the most popular people in the building. So it's good to, good to have them here with us this morning. Uh, my my in-laws are a great blessing to us. Amen. And I want to thank those of you. Many of you I know in this building have been praying for, for David, my father-in-law, for, for months now. And we thank God for what he's done in his body. It's a miracle. Amen. Praise God. His doctor said he wouldn't probably be here at this time. And here he is, and he's strong and healthy. We praise God for that. Amen. Praise God. Um, yesterday, we had a great day around here at the church. And I was just, uh, so I was here with about four guys, and we were working in the flower beds out front. Um, right, So we went on vacation two weeks ago, and then last week we were away at a summer camp uh, ministering, and my kids were in the, in the camp. And uh, so we were away for like two weeks, and right before we left, the, the flower beds were not looking so hot. There were little buds springing up here and there. And when we got back, it looked like a jungle. And so I'm thankful. I think we, we had about 15 man hours yesterday and got probably about 70% of the way. There's still some work to do, but it looks a whole lot better. We had some bushes that froze on that cold snap that we got around Christmas. And we had to cut all the dead wood away. And there's, thank God, there's fresh green buds down at the base. They're going to come back, I think. But uh, thankful for the men that were here helping us yesterday doing that. Uh, we had our men's Bible study going on here when I got here. We had the Spanish ministry going on when I got here. Uh, we had a bunch of people show up to clean the building. And uh, I'm just saying all this to say thank you to everybody who uh, works hard and serves and keeps this place looking good, keeps ministry going, is serving people, reaching out to people. It's, it's an incredible thing. Amen. We, we have a great church, don't we? It's a great church family. I'm grateful for you. Amen. And I'm, I'm grateful that we were able to get a little time off and a little downtime. Thankful for Dwayne Lowe, who ministered a couple, I guess it was three weekends ago now, and did a great job. And then I, so we were working yesterday, and uh, one of the brothers uh, that, that showed up, he said, I don't know who the man was that preached last Sunday, but he was awesome. So I'm thankful for Pastor Bill and his ministry of the word. Amen. Amen. Don't, don't you love Pastor Bill and Elizabeth? They're fantastic. Amen. Grateful for them. Praise God. So we're going to get into the word of God today. And I was talking to Elizabeth uh, right before the service, talking about sometimes the most, the greatest messages are the simple ones. And uh, this is a, a simple word. I, I really hope to highlight the goodness of God today. I really do. God, God is good. Is he not? God is good. I mean, we, we, we could talk and talk and talk, and we could use every word in the human language, and we could not exhaust uh, a discussion about the goodness of God. Amen? We can't exaggerate it. We can't even comprehend it, how good our God is. And I think the enemy 
has done, if, if the enemy's been successful, and I don't want to give him any credit, but if he's been successful, successful at anything, it's making God look bad. Like he's some God that wants to wipe everybody out, vengeance, and paints all kinds of religious ideologies on who God is. But when you look into the word of God, or when you look into the face of Jesus and see who God is, you can't help but to see his goodness. Amen. He is a good, good God. Amen. And so John 10 is where we're going to look first this morning. Hope you brought your Bible. You gotta, if, you, if you have a, I just want to see this. If you have a physical Bible, hold it up. Okay. Now, if you're using a, a phone or an iPad or a device, hold that up. Just wanna, I want to see what everybody's doing. All right. It's about 50-50. All right. And if you didn't bring one, it's up there. It'll, the scriptures will be up. But it's good to bring your Bible and just everybody blow the dust off. <laughs> That's right. If you, that's right, Scotty. I appreciate Scotty, too, the way he serves around here. Amen. <laughs> Scotty's our utility man. Whatever, whatever the job is, he'll step in and take care of it. Amen. It's a valuable player right there. All right. Yeah, if we don't have a Bible, we'll get you one. See Scotty. See Pam. Pam's got Bibles. We'll pass them out right now. <laughs> All right. John 10. How many of you love the word of God? Amen. Isn't it good? John 10. Very uh, familiar passage to a lot of us. John 10, verse 9 and 10. This is New Living Translation that I'm reading here this morning. It says, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I know. I love that. I love it. That's why I read that translation, because I, I love the way that reads. And that's really, you know, most of us know that an abundant life, this, is, this really encapsulizes what Jesus is saying to us. God desires for us to have a rich and satisfying life. I think if the enemy's done a job of anything, it's convincing us that God wants to, to bottle us up and make our lives miserable. He can't do anything or enjoy anything, right? I like the Westminster Catechism, though, that, that our, our lives are to enjoy God and glorify him. It's something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing it. But that, that's really what God created us to do, to, to enjoy him and to glorify him. And it's a great life. Amen. And somebody said it this way, that God is most glorified when he is most enjoyed. Isn't that good? God is most glorified when he is most enjoyed. Amen. How many of you know what it means to enjoy the Lord, his goodness, his presence, the walk that we have, the life of salvation that he's given to us? That's what God, his intent and the purpose is for us. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's a deceiver. That's why he, this campaign of trying to paint God to be something that he is, it's, it's totally opposite of what the scriptures declare him to be, right? The enemy does that. He, he's, it's a snow job. He's deceiving us. He's convincing us that there's something out there that uh, we need to experience apart from God that's going to bring a satisfaction and a fulfillment to our lives. It's a deception. That's, you look back to the garden, that's what he did. He convinced Eve that she was lacking something. Right? He convinced Adam that he lacked something. God had given him all, and he convinced him that he was lacking in some way. 
right? It's what the enemy comes to do. And in that, he is, he is stealing from us. He's, he's, he's destroying us when, because it, 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 that he's bringing us in, into sin, and that immediately works death in our life, right? So when we talk about the abundant life, the life that God intends for us to experience, this rich, as it says in our text, and satisfying life, there's a word there, it's parisos in the original language. And here's the meaning of this word. It's, it's exceeding some number or measure or rank or need. That's the kind of life that God wants us to have. It, it means over and above, more than is necessary, super added. Over and above, more than is necessary, super added, exceeding abundantly, supremely, something further, more, much more than all. More plainly superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon, preeminent. Superior, it speaks of superiority. It speaks of advantage. It speaks of more eminence. It speaks of something more remarkable and something more excellent. Right? And we've pretty much exhausted the human's language there, and it still doesn't describe the abundant life that God intends for us to experience. I believe that most of us live below the poverty line. Most of us don't really encounter the life that God intended for us to live. Unbelief, doubt, sin, right? Lack of understanding. All of these things hinder us from living the life that God intended for us to live. Superabundant. Everybody say superabundant. That, that's the word that I love right there. Superabundant. It's a super abundant life. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's without stress. It doesn't mean that there's not conflict. It doesn't mean that persecution doesn't come. It doesn't mean that trials and tribulations won't come to our life. But it means that in all of these things, he's called us to be a victorious people, to triumph, to have joy in every season, right? Count it all joy. When all of these troubles come to your life, count it all joy, right? That, that's really the, the meaning behind this. It's a super abundant life. In every situation, in every circumstance, in every season of life, harvest or famine, whatever we're going through, in rain or drought, we know the goodness of God. Amen? We walk in the goodness of God. That's what God's purpose and intent for us is. That's what salvation is really all about. So, so, salvation is a panoplia of uh, receiving a panoplia of the blessings of God, right? Like you, you remember, uh, what is that? I don't even know what the thing, you remember at Thanksgiving, they have that little basket. It's like a horn-shaped basket. It's got all of the bountiful fruit spilling out. Cornucopia, thank you, right? Salvation, we receive this cornucopia of all of the blessings of God, it is our salvation from damnation, from the judgment of God. It's our deliverance. It's our healing, right? Physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing comes through the salvation that we received because of the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because of what he has done there, right? Isaiah talks about it. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our, our iniquities, right? Chastised for our peace. He was bruised for our healing, right? So all of the work that he, done, he has done for us at, at Calvary is ours to receive, amen? That's the abundant life that God in, intends for us to experience. It's called salvation, amen? I, I want to lay this foundation. 
Salvation, this is important for us to understand. Salvation is not an accomplishment to be achieved. It is a gift to be received. Amen? How many of you know that Jesus has already achieved it? Right? You don't have to work. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to pretty up. You don't have to change your bad habits. Right? You come to the altar in repentance and you receive the free gift of God. Right? And then the work of, 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 of sanctification begins in our life. God begins to do work, and we are changed. When we encounter Jesus and receive this salvation that he intends for us, it has a transformative effect on our lives. It changes everything about who we are. That's why the Bible likens it to new birth. We are born again, right? And it's the work of God, right? That's what it talks about. It says that it's God who has begun the work in you, and he will finish it. It's the work of God in us. And it is a gift to be received, not an accomplishment to be received. You cannot work hard enough to earn your salvation. You can't be good enough to earn your salvation. You can't do enough good works. You can't give enough money away. You can't be kind enough to your mother-in-law to earn your own salvation. It's a free gift. It does help. It's a good thing. This, this is confirmed in Scripture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confirm it. I, I was actually talking to Brother Ted, and he said he was talking to an old Pentecostal lady, and she made this statement, I worked hard for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Then you did it wrong. There's a reason the Bible calls it a gift. It is a gift to be received. And I, I told Brother Ted, every time that somebody comes and says they want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I pray for them, I tell them, the first thing I do is I tell them to close their eyes, and then just see your father in heaven, get the best image of your father in heaven that you can. And he's got a gift and he's extending his arm with this big package. He's giving you the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a gift to be received. Amen. And then it begins to work on the inside of us. It begins to change and transforms us. It begins to renew this. I'm going to give you some Bible evidence just so you know I'm not a heretic tonight. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says this, God saved you by his grace. It didn't say he saved you because of your works. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this. It is the gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you have done. So none of us can boast about it. It's a free gift, right, that Jesus paid for. It's ours, it's ours to receive. Amen? It's ours to receive. Amen? And when we receive this, everything changes. Everything changes. Our name is written in a book in heaven. We receive a heavenly citizenship. We're grafted into the family of God. Amen? The, 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 there, there's a, a new man born on the inside of us, born of the spirit of God. Everything changes. Amen? And we become, Philippians says we are citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. And that's, that's in our English translation. In the original language, it says this, that we are a colony of heaven. This is Paul in Philippians. He says, you are a, a heavenly colony. They understood that language. Philippi understood that terminology because they were a colony of Rome. Even though they didn't live in Rome, 
because they were a colony of Rome. They had all of the legal rights of the citizenship of Roman citizens. Does that make sense? Hey, we, we don't yet live in heaven, but all the legal rights of heaven are ours to enjoy. We walk with authority. Amen? We, we, we've got to stop acting like we're defeated, like the enemy is going to take all the turf. No. The, the, the parable, in, in the parable, it says this, we are here to occupy. That, that doesn't mean sit on your lazy boy. That doesn't mean sit on the pew. You're occupying a chair right now. Right? That's not the kind of terminology that it is here. This is actually, actually military terminology that means take over. Like go into the nation and occupy it. We occupied some nations here recently. Afghanistan and Iraq, we occupied those nations. Right? Those are military terminologies. We are here to take over. Right? I like the way somebody said it one time that Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Amen? Amen? And that's what we, the church, are supposed to be about. We are here to possess. There is something of, of, of possessing that's built into us as the children of God. We are here to push back darkness and to advance the kingdom of God. That's part of what it's talking about when it says seek first the kingdom of God. Every day we ought to have a, a motivation stirring on the inside of us that says, this morning I woke up and it's God who woke me up. He put breath in my lungs and I'm going to go out some way and I'm going to affect this world for the kingdom of light. I'm going to advance God's kingdom. I'm going to be salt and light in my workplace, at school, in my neighborhood, in my, my, uh, uh, my mother-in-law's house. Some, some reason mother-in-laws are on my mind today. We're, we're here as an occupying force. We're not here just to exist until Jesus comes back. Let's just put our shield up and take the blows and hope we make it until Jesus comes. Really, honestly, that's the disposition, the attitude of most Christians. Come on, buck up. Stand up and advance. You know, when Jesus said the, king, the, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, gates are not offensive devices. They are defensive devices. Right? In other words, if we charge the gates, they can't stand up to us. We need to be advancing against the kingdom of darkness. Amen? All right. Now, this is, that was an extra sermon this morning that I didn't intend to preach. So let's talk about experiencing the life that Jesus intended for us to live. The high life, high living. Living the life that God intended for us to live. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says that God has raised us from the dead along with Jesus and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. If you have been born again, you are united with Christ. You are one with Jesus. Amen? And that, that's the only hope that we have. That's the only hope we have of righteousness. That's the only hope that we have of salvation, that our lives are united with Christ. Amen? That when God sees us, he sees that we were buried, we, we were killed with Christ on that cross, buried with him, and rose up on that third day with him. That's what Romans 6 teaches. Right? That's the only hope that we have. If you haven't been buried with Christ and raised up from that grave with him, you have no hope. You will not stand on the day of judgment. If you haven't put your confidence in the cross and the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we have no hope. That's the only hope of salvation that I have. 
is that what Jesus did on that cross for me was sufficient. I have put all of my faith, all of my confidence, and all of my trust in that one event. Amen? And without that, we have nothing. We are united with Christ. Amen? And this passage said he has made us to sit together in heavenly places. You see, there, there is a spiritual reality that most of us don't comprehend and don't understand. And I, I think that's really, honestly, a lot of the reason why we live this defeated, kind of hunker down and hold on until Jesus comes back mentality. Because we do not realize the authority that we have. That's what it's talking about here when it says that he has made us to be seated together with Christ in heavenly places. Amen? We, we have an authority that has been given to us through Jesus Christ, and we are to live in that and walk in that and operate. We are seated together in heavenly places. Amen? I got an aunt, she was a gospel singer, and she used to have this song, I wish I could growl. She had this growl. I'm going, ah, I can't even do it. But she's singing, I'm going, you want to come sing it for me, Rachel? She, she would growl, I'm going high, going high where the devil can't go. I'm going high, going high where the devil can't go. And if he wants to know where I am, you tell him I'm in the Father's hand because I'm going high, going high where the devil can't go. That, those are good words, but it's even better with the growl. <laughs> so we are seated together in heavenly places. Amen? That is a spiritual reality that in our carnal minds we can't comprehend. That's a big part of why we need the Holy Ghost. All of us need to be filled with the Holy Ghost daily, every day. When, is it, when that passage in Ephesians says, don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk in the Holy Ghost, or, or be filled with the Holy Ghost, it, that, that, the, the, the language verbiage, I'm not very good with English, literature, grammar, all that kind of stuff. But the original language, it says, be being filled we are constantly being filled with the Holy Ghost, and we need that. That's the life that God's called us. God's called us to live a life in the Spirit. We need to be full of the Holy Ghost, right? Without the Holy Ghost, you cannot comprehend the things of God. That's what Corinthians says. Corinthians says that carnal man can't comprehend the things of God. That's why God put his Holy Spirit on the inside of us. It's the decoder. It's, the, it's what helps us to understand, to decipher the things of God. We need to be full of the Spirit of God so that we can understand the heavenly realities that are ours, so that we can grasp this life that God intended for us to live. I'm going to read another passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, again, because we are united with Jesus. This isn't something, this is not future tense. This is past tense. Already done. He has already blessed us with every heavenly blessing that we can comprehend. Right? If we can get our mindset on this, if we can understand this, if we can, by the Spirit of God, comprehend this idea, it will transform the way that you live. This will move you into an eternal mindset, right, where we don't set our, things on, our mind on things here on the earth, but our minds are set on things above. 
This is where God calls us as believers to live. We get so hunkered down, so uh, muddied and stuck in the quagmire of this world that we can't enjoy the life that God calls us to live. We're so busy pursuing wealth, possessions, trying to climb the ladder, trying to impress people that aren't even paying attention to us. Trying to find something in this world that's going to satisfy us that never will. And it's like quicksand. Mud. And we're stuck down in it. Come on, lift your eyes. Lift your perspective. Focus on Jesus. Seek his kingdom first. It's, it, it, there's joy. Amen? The Bible calls it joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen? There's peace that surpasses all understanding. It's when we have a grasp on he- these heavenly realities that are ours, when we're living our lives to the Spirit instead of stuck down here in the quagmire. See, God has called us to a high place. These, and and I, I could have pulled dozens and dozens of more scriptures on this, but there, there's two that I've given you there about this, this heavenly calling, this heavenly citizenship that we have, that we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly realms. These are just a few of the passages of scripture that we could have talked about, but the the reality is that God wants us to live a high life. You know why we are defeated so often? We're living the low life. Look at your neighbor and say, you low life? (laughs) Stop it. Come on, come on. Let's go high. Let's go high. Anybody ever played King of the Hill? Y'all remember that game, King of the Hill? See, once you get up on the top, you've got strength, right? Every military force understands this. They, they go up to the mountaintops and fight down because it's, it's easier to fight downhill than it is to fight uphill. Come on. Right? Some of y'all are defeated because you're fighting uphill. Because you're choosing to live in, 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 in the mud. And God's calling us, come up higher, come up higher, come up higher. My wife, I'm trying, Scott. (laughs) My wife preached an awesome message at the youth camp that we were at last week. She talked about suiting up, putting the armor of God on, and she gave this analogy about how uh, that the the enemy, I think it was was it the Palestine signs? They, They had the chariots that were armed up. Anyway, the, God's people, their enemy, I can't remember what the analogy was, but it's from history, they, they had these chariots that had these wheels on them that would shred the Israelites when they came through. And so God said, go up to the mountain. Go up to the mountaintop. Because their chariots can't go that high. See, that, that's that song, I'm going high. I'm going high where the devil can't go. Amen. Go up in the mountaintops. Amen? That's what God wants us to do. See, the victory has already been procured. The battle's already been won. Our enemy is a defeated foe. We need to understand that. Get get that firmly implanted into your spirit. When the enemy comes and points a weapon in your face, you're looking down the barrel of an empty gun. He's been disarmed. He's been disarmed. Amen? 
What Jesus did at the cross, disarmed the enemy and also took the keys to his house. That's what Jesus did. He is totally and utterly defeated. We need to get that firmly embedded, embedded into our minds and our spirits that we are, we are fighting against a defeated foe. He has already been conquered. Amen? He has already been conquered. Listen to what Colossians says about this. He says, we were buried with Christ. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. You were buried with Christ. This is another analogy of what I was talking about earlier. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And let me just say, next weekend we are baptizing. Amen. You don't want to miss next weekend. It's going to be good. Brother Wayne Thompson is going to be here from San Marcos, Texas. And we're going to baptize. It's going to be good. Here's the picture. When you get baptized, you're going down into the water. It's a picture of being buried into the death of Jesus Christ. Romans 6. Go read Romans 6. And when we come back up, the Bible says it's like the picture of what spiritually happens to us. We are resurrected into newness of life. Amen? That, that's the picture. That's what it's talking about here in Colossians. We were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted, not because you worked, not because you changed your attitude, Hey, change your attitude. Yes, please. It's not because you were good enough, but because you trusted, right? The mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature. It was not cut away from you. And then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. And he canceled, look at this, the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now look at this, verse 15. This is really where I want to focus right here. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moons or ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only a shadow of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. See, people try to convince us that it's about these rules and these regulations, these holy days, these rituals, these religious things that we practice. It's not any of that. It is the reality of what we have in Christ that is our deep need. Not religion, not ritual, not rote but a walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's what our soul is yearning for. Not religion. I mean, none of us really yearn for the, the, the priest with the swinging incense. But you know what I yearn, yearn for? The, the reality of what that represents, his abiding presence. That's what I really yearn for. Amen. Not the rules, if you'll jump through this hoop, that hoop, and that hoop, dress this way, look like this, and act this way. But the reality of having the righteousness of Christ that changes and transforms the way that we live. That's really what we yearn for. Amen? It's the word of God written 
on our heart, the law of God written on our heart and the spirit of God empowering us to live righteously. That's what we yearn for, the reality that is in Christ, right? So going back to verse 15, in this way, he displayed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What, what is all this talking about? It's speaking of principalities and powers. There are spiritual powers in high places that are, I believe, affecting the outcome of generations, of nations, of, of, of history, human history. They're involved to the detriment in many ways of humanity. The, 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 these evil rulers are out to still kill and destroy mankind. That's their purpose and their intent, right? This is telling us that Jesus has, has defeated them. He has taken, he has disarmed them. He's taken their power. All the authority has been taken away. And how did they get that authority? Because of our rebellion, right? When sin came in, something was activated. Satan and, and his demons, there was this activation. There was, it was a rebellion against, and because of our rebellion, we, we gave over dominion and authority to our enemy. Christ took it back. That's what it's saying here. So there, there was an old, old practice back in the uh, Bible days of embarrassing a defeated foe. A little bit of a graphic picture here, but what they would do is they would take, when they would defeat an army and capture a king, they would take that king and they would literally cut the backside of his garments out and march him through town. That's where we get the word embarrassment. This is what it is. It, it, embarrassment. That's where we get that terminology. It, you, you cut the skirt out and you embarrass them. That's where the terminology comes from. They would march the defeated foe through the, the streets in shame. That's what this Bible, this passage that we read, Colossians 2.15 is telling us that Jesus has embarrassed our enemy. He made a show of them, Right? You know what? It hasn't happened yet, but one day he is going to march them through the streets. I believe it's going to happen in, 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 the, in his kingdom. I believe at the end of the millennial reign, this is going to happen. He is going to march them through disgraced, and they're going to be banished to eternal judgment. I believe that. It's going to happen. You know, on January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln made the Emancipation Proclamation declaring all slaves in the United States of America, free. It was after three years of a bloody war between the Union and the Confederacy, the North and the South. After three years of war, Abraham Lincoln stood and he made the Emancipation Proclamation declaring, January 1st, 1863, declaring that all slaves in the United States were free. This week, we celebrated Juneteenth, right? June 19th. What that commemorates is going back to June 19th, 1865. A year and a half after the Emancipation Proclamation, there were still slaves in Texas that had not been freed. 2,000 Union troops marched into uh, Galveston, Texas on J June 19th, 1865 and declared that they can no longer own slaves. The battle's been won. You have no choice. Set them free. Right? We've already been declared free. There's a day coming, a Juneteenth for all of us, where the reality of it is going to come to place. It's, it's, it's going to come about. It's a beautiful picture. 
It's a beautiful picture. And thank God for freedom, amen? Thank God that those slaves were free. Thank God for men, righteous men who stood and fought, amen, for the emancipation of those slaves. Thank God for it, amen? Freedom is an awesome thing. The life that God intends for us to experience is a life of freedom, right? That's why Galatians says it is for freedom that you have been freed. It is for freedom that you have been freed. Amen? You've been set free, live free. Anybody know the burden of, of credit card debt? It's bondage, isn't it? It's a bondage. I, I lived under the weight of that for, for several years. I got set free from it, and you know what happened? I got tempted just a few months later to start going back to it. And I read that passage in Galatians it is for freedom that you have been freed. And the Holy Spirit said, why do you want to go back to bondage? Why do you want to go back to it? We, we haven't paid interest since the day that I got out of credit card debt, 20, almost 20 years ago. That's freedom. If, God, if Christ has freed you, why do you want to go back to the bondage? Why do you want to serve sin? Why do you want to get down in the mud and the quagmire? You've been set free. You've been liberated. Live free. The, the, the full reality of our freedom is still yet to come, but in the meantime, you are heavenly citizens. Live free. You have every right of heavenly citizenship. Live free. Amen? Live free. Live free. I want to give you one point of practical application. It's a good thing I didn't do three here. I want to give you one practical point of application. How do we live the life that Christ intended for us to live? I want to give us one application. We need, and I'll just say it at the beginning, and then I'm going to, I'm going to teach through a, a couple concepts in the scripture. We need to, in our, in our freedom, in this life that Christ has called us to live, we need to be a people who forgive. Unforgiveness is bondage. Living with unforgiveness in your heart is living below what God has called you to live. If we can learn to forgive people, we're living a high life, a life of freedom. We need to learn to forgive. We need to be quick to forgive. Amen? Somebody said that, that uh, holding unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right? Like just because you're holding the anger and all the animosity in your heart, like that, that's really going to get them, isn't it? No, it just ends up getting you. It eats you up. Right? So we have to learn to choose to forgive. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul's talking here to the Corinthian church. He says, I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Now, it doesn't give details of what happened here. There was some kind of a, a, a conflict. This gentleman did something that hurt a lot of these church folks at Corinth. And Paul said, it hurt you a whole lot more than it hurt me. And he said, most of you, in verse 6, opposed him and that was punishment enough. But check this out. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overtaken by discouragement. Some of y'all need to forgive some folks and start comforting them because you may be the one that's hindering them from coming to Christ. Forgive them and comfort them so that they can be encouraged. I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. 
I wrote to you as I did to test you and to see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgave this man, or when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive him, whatever, whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. Check this out. So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his schemes. Right? We, we love this, throw this one around. We're not ignorant of his devices. What exactly is that a meaning? It's actually talking about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is the device of the enemy. It's the scheme of the enemy. He wants, he will use that because he knows that it gets us bound up in our hearts. Paul said, when you forgive, I forgive also. Least Satan would outsmart us. Now, the original word there is get an advantage on us. It's a mountain climbing term. That Satan would not get a foothold. You know that good spot in the rock where you want to get your toe so you can get the leg up? So you can go to the high place? Well, Paul is saying here, when you choose to hold unforgiveness, you are giving Satan the toehold toe so he can get a leg up on you. When we refuse to forgive, Satan gets an advantage on us. When we refuse to forgive, we are fighting uphill and Satan is fighting downhill over our lives. But as soon as we forgive, there's release that comes. It destroys the scheme of the enemy. Forgiveness keeps the enemy from getting a toehold in your life and getting a leg up on you. We need to be quick to forgive. This word, to have an advantage on us, to have that toehold, it means to have more. How many of you want Satan to have more? To have a greater part or share? Are you going to give Satan a part or share in your life? Because when we choose not to forgive, that's what's happening. We're giving him a greater part. We're giving him the greater share. It, this means to be superior, to excel, to surpass, to have an advantage over, to gain, or to take advantage of another or to overreach. I don't want to be overreached. I don't want Satan to have an advantage over my life. We have to choose to forgive or he has the advantage over us. This is the life that God has called us to live. Paul talks about it more in Ephesians. He says, get rid, in verse 34, uh, chapter 4, verse 31, he says, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of rage. Let's just go one by one here. Get rid of anger. Get rid of harsh words. Get rid of slander. As well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. And here's the key. Just as Christ as God, I should say, through Christ, has forgiven us. Well, pastor, you just don't know the hurt. You're right, I don't, and I'm, I'm sorry. There, sometimes there are things you're going to experience that I can't comprehend. I'll go through some things sometimes you can't comprehend, right? It's one of the worst lies that we can tell. Oh, I understand what you're going through. Well, do you really? Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it stinks. Yeah, I mean, they really ripped you off. Yes, they took advantage. They hurt you. Choose to forgive. Choose to forgive. 
I can't. You just don't know what they did. You don't know how much they got. You don't know how bad they hurt me. The key for us being able to forgive any hurt is wrapped up in the last little part of that verse that I just read. Forgive. Just as God, through Christ, forgave you. You know, the only reason that I can forgive people when they hurt me, the only true motivation that will have effect in my heart for truly forgiving people is the remembering, the realization that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins, and because of that, God has forgiven me. That's the only thing that can be effective in my heart. I mean, we all know the sting, the hurt, the bitterness, the resentment, that feeling of being ripped off, the feeling of being pushed down, the feeling of being betrayed. We all understand it. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, how, how many of you have some things, let's just be honest, you don't really want to forgive? Right? We're all, we, we all, we've all been there. Here, here's the reality. People who refuse to give are self-righteous people. It's very quiet in here, isn't it? <laughs> Only the self-righteous refuse to forgive. When we realize what Christ has done for us, we have no choice. Right? Remember, you remember the, the analogy, right? The king or the ruler, they gave this man, uh, he forgave him of a great debt, and then he heard that he had turned around to this other man that owed him a few dollars and refused to forgive him. He calls him back and I said, hold on a second. Right? That's the picture. That's the picture. I heard a story about a monkey who was looking for a peanut. He found a peanut in a jar and he reached in the jar and grabbed the peanut and then he couldn't get his hand out. His fist was too big for the jar, for the, for the mouth of the jar. And so he walked around forever with his jar on his fist because he refused to let go of the peanut. It's a picture of unforgiveness. As long as you hold on to the grudge, your hand's stuck in the jar. So somebody said that there are two creatures that God made with crawls. Chickens and humans. Chickens use their crawls to digest their food, and humans use theirs to hold grudges. It's time to clear your throat. Time to let it go. Listen, it's a reality. Forgiveness will not change the past, but here's what it does. It enlarges your future. Forgive. Forgive. Well, pastor, if I forgive them, they're going to get away with it. Yeah. Nope. Nope. For forgiveness does not diminish justice. It entrusts justice to God, who's a just judge, who's righteous, who's holy who's perfect in all of his ways, amen? And he knows how to mete out retribution. He guarantees that the right retribution is going to come. Entrust it to him, amen? 
entrust it to him. That's what happens when we, when we choose forgiveness. We are entrusting retribution to Christ. That's where it needs to be. This, I believe, is the life that God has called every one of us to. Let's stand together. You want to talk about living a high life? And, I, and, and there are many more of these messages coming in the days ahead. We're going to talk about these, these concepts. Living the way that God intends for us to live. You want to talk about living a high life? It's a life that chooses to forgive. Forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. Right? Forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. And a lifestyle of forgiving when we have been wronged is a lifestyle that embodies the gospel. How many times should we forgive? Seven? Seventy times seven. Some of y'all can't count that high. I can, barely. Seventy times seven. Four hundred and ninety times. In other words, embody a lifestyle of forgiving. What if they wrong me? Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust that he's going to take care of it? That he's going to bring retribution? This is difficult. I'm not saying this is an easy way to live, but I am saying this is our high calling. This is the life that Jesus calls us to, to be a people who forgive. Amen. If you would lift your hands, Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, we surrender to you. We're going to turn the nut loose. We're going to trust you for all things. Lord, I pray that your people represented here today, those watching online, Lord, that we could elevate, that we can encounter you in such a way that our eyes might be open to you in such a way, Lord God, that it would liberate us, that it would bring a new freedom to our soul. Lord, give us a new depth of trust. Let our boasting be in you. For we put all hope and confidence in who you are. We surrender. No more my way. No more fighting. No more striving, no more working. We trust you for it. Father, we bless you because you are good. Lord, come and do a work in us, each and every one of us. Lord, we trust that what you have begun in us, you're going to complete. Lord, continue to elevate us. Let us climb the steps, Lord God, of freedom, of grace, of joy. Draw us close.
closer and closer every single day, Lord God. Lord, may the things of this world fade. May sorrow and worry and rage and bitterness animosity made all fade in light of you. I thank you for it. I give you praise in Jesus' name.